Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Bottom line right now is we have hit summer. We are through with our syndication. So if you're one of our wonderful radio affiliates across the state of Texas, this is how you got to listen to us. Download the podcast, get it on SoundCloud. However you got to get it, get it, because that's the only way you'll be able to hear Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com for the rest of the summer months. I am Jeff Howe. It is hot. It is hot as hell outside. We've been due, Matt, you're the weather guy. We've been due for a summer like this, though. Yeah, we haven't had one of those super droughty summers, but it seems like we might be getting a really yeah. hot one. So, however you got to cool off, man, you need to go to the pool, the lake, if you're on the green belt, you just want to jump in town lake, whatever whatever you gotta do, man. If you're on a, if you're fishing, you gotta jump off the boat and get in the lake, whatever. Almost have to Stay if you cool, go man. fishing. Stay no, cool. Stay high. Dying from this kind of heat. I think we're gonna have five straight days of hundred degree heat. Is that the point if you're at the right angle and you see like the certain building or a certain light, you can see the heat waves. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like it, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know you you know it's how you can like when the mirages appear, like no, that is like that's heat waves. You see, it's just you know how on the weather hot. map, how on the weather map when it's <laughs> colored mirage. to show how hot it is. <laughs> when it like gets maroon, that's when you're like, man, it's just yeah, don't go outside. It's, yeah, it's getting that kind of hot. But okay. we'll hopefully keep you cool with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. I am Jeff Howe. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire. No longer the man behind the glass, but the man that sits to my right. He is at the controls, nonetheless. Matt Butler, Matt, uh, your daily fantasy season's winding down, isn't yes, it? Yes, sir. It's slowing down, so I'm getting a summer sort of like a teacher these days where my easy time is when it's hot vacation time in Austin. But still, this is the first year that the NBA Finals has daily fantasy. Like 2018, they started out with the one-game leagues for the Super Bowl and continued that into football. So at least it's cool to get those and looking at, I mean, it's again Cavs Golden State. So there's a good data sets for a while. We've seen this for a while, and it's interesting to see somebody like Tristan Thompson who is like totally out of the rotation, not even contributable. It's becoming a guy that can be, you know, a toughness piece for that team because right now Cleveland, they're running out of players and they're going to need as many healthy bodies as they can to slow down Golden State. Yeah, if you guys want to go to my Twitter timeline, um, I retweeted this from CBS Sports. They did the uh – I think they called it season four of Cavs Warriors was filmed before a live studio audience. Oh, the and Family it's the, Matters. Uh, yeah, it's set to Family Matters. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. So that's well all done. my that's all my Twitter timeline yeah, from well uh, from our, our wonderful uh, my our, my parent company at CBS Sports. That's yeah, where I get well my done. checks from. It's CBS. Uh, a man who uh, knows all about cashing checks at the highest level did it in the National Football League. Now he cashes them. Uh, from the Austin Radio Network, 1049 Horn, you can hear him. Each Much smaller checks, I got to tell you. Each and every, <laughs> That's I, a big difference. No disrespect to, to Bob no, no, Cole and the fine folks here, I love them, man. Well, just business, NFL. Those checks are much smaller, yeah. Austin Radio still Network. Still a check, though. Still a check. God ne- Still a check. Nevertheless, he uh, is a lifetime Longhorn, was a 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist 
for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. If he knew where his T-ring was, he would wear it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a <laughs> card-carrying member of DBU. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rob Babers. And, Rob, we spent a lot of time uh, last week talking about quarterback play on this show. Mm-hmm. And I want to take some time to talk about defense, but I want to go to quarterback play for just a second. And th- this struck me because I really started thinking about it. And I was talking to – I won't reveal who the source was, but I was talking to say somebody that knows what's going on uh, around the 40 acres as it uh, evolves the, the offense and the, the quarterback position and what Tom Herman's thinking, et cetera. And the comment that struck me during the conversation was, for Texas to get back to the level where Texas was in, you know, 2004, you know, 01, 02 with Sims, mm-hmm. 04, 05 with VY, and then Colt McCoy's last two years. Now, Texas is one of those programs that needs elite quarterback play, not just good quarterback play. needs elite quarterback play. In other words, there are very few programs in the country yep. that can contend for national championships. And let's face it, Alabama and LSU's done it. Very few programs in the country that can compete for national championships unless you've got elite, elite quarterback play. Yep. So, Rod, based on our conversation last week, and we started off with the premise of Sam Ellinger potentially being able to maybe be one of the top four quarterbacks in the league, being the top half of quarterbacks in the league by the time the 2018 season's in the books. And then we went so far down the road as to say, what if, what if Sam Ellinger isn't the quarterback of the future on this roster right now? What if Cameron Rising or Casey Thompson, what if one of those guys is the guy yeah. at some point? Or what if it's maybe it's Roshan Johnson? Hell, maybe it's Hudson Card, the 2020 quarterback from Lake it's Travis who just experiment. pulled the trigger. Yeah. yeah. So you go down that line of thinking, and then you, 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 you know, we, we ended up there. So my question for you, Rod, is based on what I just threw out there and kind of riffing off what we talked about last week. How far away is Texas or how close is Texas to being able to realistically get elite play from the quarterback position that would allow Texas to be a contender for a national championship? Uh, that's a good question because um, you can't predict elite quarterback play. Okay, let, me, um, let me rephrase you know I mean? it then. With, within the next two years, is it realistic that Texas quarterback play could be in a, in a, at an elite level? Oh, yeah. yeah. No doubt. Just because um, of time. Yeah, and just because of the unpredictability of it because we don't know which one of these guys is going to separate themselves from the pack. And we don't know exactly what Tom Herman covets in a quarterback. You know what I mean? He could, yeah, he could, you know, he could side with this experience right now. But like you said, he could be looking at Cameron Rising. You know, like you ever see that, that meme of the guy walking with his girlfriend and yeah. he's looking back at the other girl. Mm, yeah. That's <laughs> you know going to be mean? Tom Herman to every girl, quarterback. And his girlfriend is like looking at him, and she looks like she is disgusted by him staring at this other woman who just passed him. Uh, that's Tom Herman as the as the quarterback guy, because yeah, he's got. That's why he brought in four of them because he wants yeah. the option. So he could be looking at the quarterback of the future. That's not necessarily the quarterback that he is with right now. So I totally agree with that, but there's no there's no way to predict it. And that's why I said Mac Brown was really smart about it. He would that's why we had great quarterback competitions on the Forty Acres when Mac was here. I mean, nobody thought it was, but you know, Chance Mock and the Vince Young quarterback competition, that was a worthy quarterback competition. I mean, they actually went back and forth. Everybody assumed they knew who would win it, just like we assume we know who's gonna win mm-hmm. the Sam Ellinger Shane Bouchelle quarterback competition. But that doesn't mean that Shane Bouchelle did not push Sam 
um, you know, I mean, to the uh, to the to the level of expectation that we all need for the standard of the quarterback who's starting for the University of Texas. So, and Chris Sims, Major Applewhite, I think is a primary example of that too. Not saying they're always handled the right way, uh, because that's an example of, but saying you need those. A Colt McCoy, Jevin Sneed. Um, we just talked about how, it, you know, last podcast, if you are a blue blood college football program, you want more money, more problems. You want the problem of having a five-star quarterback on your roster who's upset because you brought another five-star quarterback in so he may transfer. All right, you know what? That's just the way it is. That's the way you got to deal with it. I think every Clemson, Bama, Oklahoma, uh, Ohio State, every college football, Michigan, every college football blue blood is dealing with that. You want to know why? Because you have to stockpile quarterbacks because nobody at the NFL level or the college level or even the high school level, has any idea who's going to turn out to be right. a good quarterback. They have no freaking idea. That is the one thing we figured out. You want to know how we know that? Baker Mayfield was drafted number one overall. And he walked and on twice. this is a guy that was a wall. Exactly. So they have no idea what the hell they're doing at any level when it comes to quarterbacks. But what you do is you just bring in enough athletes to be able to give you options at that position. Yeah, and then the way you brought up the memes is a good one because even if he is the one looking back, he can even have his. But Tom Herman, I think, with the quarterback is always going to be looking at the other one because it's only open to your options. And that basically yeah. sort of tells yeah. you then also. That also means the one that you're with right now, it's good. But you aren't married to it yet, so the idea that until that one where it's just somebody like a Vince or a Colt that just blows everybody away, you don't have to be married to it. You can always be looking back that way and seeing which what's to come. And if you're sticking with, it's going to work out, and they're going to decide, obviously, if they totally blow everybody away. You'll be stuck with them, so I, I, it works I'll, well. I'll go further and say you should always be that meme. Yep. If you're a, well, a if you're a head, Tom if you're a coach at the at the at the college level, Agreed. NFL is different because then you sign them forever, franchise Money. quarterback, second thing. All right. Yeah. But if you're at the college level, you should always be that meme. Even more so these days be. because now yes. we're seeing that the the freshman quarterback transfer and market. The freshman can yeah. Tra- no, come you in should always be it. So you used to have a window where you could actually be like, this guy might be on campus for five years. You might be three, and that's why we also will see. Quarterbacks be rushed when they shouldn't be necessarily playing whenever maybe it would be beneficial to be a red shirt. But just because of the current stake in landscape, it may not be worth it because if you're Texas, you're getting a top in four or five four-star, five-star, they're going to think if they ball out, they might be able to leave early, so taking away that front-end year is even tough, so it'll just be interesting to see how the quarter, because it just basically says if you hit with your quarterbacks these days, you're going to be really good if you can identify that, but if not, you got to be able to identify that as well and jump off ship as fast as you can to find the next one. Right, well, I like the way Tom Herman's doing it from a recruiting standpoint, because yep. I think the real, like I, think the process. The, <clears throat> I think the realistic way to look at it is this. I think you look at your 2018 depth chart, which is pretty set with Bouchelle, Ellinger, Thompson, and Rising. Yeah. I think going into 19, I think it's realistic to expect that Shane Bouchelle probably grad transfers somewhere at that point because you hopefully yeah. you will have gotten a red shirt, <clears throat> Cameron Rising and Casey, Casey Thompson, Thompson, and then let those guys duke it out, hopefully. It wouldn't be a good situation if he's emerged that <clears throat> further down the road. Right. Hopefully – let those guys duke it out in the spring, and one of those guys emerges as your back your quarterback, quarterback to Sam Ellinger, and then you're going to bring in Roshan Johnson as a true freshman. Yeah. You let him redshirt. Then you would think, in theory, one of those two young guys, Ryzen or Thompson, one of those guys would leave at the time Hudson Card is getting ready to come onto campus. So, really, you're just kind of replenishing it. And the way what I like about taking your pulling the trigger on your 2020 quarterback so early, even though Hudson Card's throwing, I oh, think, man. like 69 or yeah. 70 varsity Nothing wrong passes. With that, man. Here's my thing, Rod. If you, if you think – 
as a staff, if you think he's Chase Daniel or Jarrett Stidham, two guys that took a similar path to him, guys that started out as high school receivers because there was a veteran guy in front of him and then they went to the quarterback position, if you think they, if you think he's that type of guy, then go ahead and pull the trigger now because it's early enough to where if you decide you want to take another one or you need to take another one, I think you, you've established a good enough rapport with Hudson Card. He's a good enough athlete to where if we needed to move him to a different position, we could, and we can go get us another quarterback. I was going to say, yeah, you just said it right there, the versatility. If I Listen, if he's Ryan Tannehill, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, Maybe he plays awesome. wide receiver and quarterback for me at one point in his college career, and then at the NFL level, he's got to figure it out on his own. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he's one of those. Maybe he's a Braxton Miller kind of guy. So, I got no problem with that. At the end, it's so many advantages. You keep the pipeline going to Lake Travis, which you need to keep that pipeline going. Yeah. All right? Uh, and it gives you access to other guys who you can recruit almost through that player. I always say the best recruiters on campus now, it ain't the coaches. The best recruiters on college campuses now are the players. Yeah. Because of social media, they, they recruit one another. No rules. They are, it's like the NBA now. They don't have to be subject to the rules of the NCAA and when they can recruit them and blackout times and all this kind of crap. They don't have to worry about that. Yeah. They can pass the message directly from the coaches. Man, I talked to Coach Herman. He told me to tell you this. You know what I mean? Like they, They're the ones who are doing all the moving and shaking. And that's yeah. a big deal because they're the ones that get along with each yeah, other. Yeah, they're the ones who are making all the moves now. It ain't the co- the coaches are just right now. They are they're kind of mediators, man. They really are. Like, yeah, they 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 make offers, but it's the players who are behind the scenes who are really really making the big recruiting moves and the best recruiting pitches. They're the best. They're the best salesmen they for your program. That yeah, there are you get and you go you can watch them on Twitter, but behind the scenes there's more going on. But watch them on Twitter. Yeah. They end up becoming like the best advocates and the best kind of spokespeople for those programs and for that specific class. And you saw it in 2018 with B.J. Foster and, like, Caden Stearns and all those kind of guys. We saw it in 2017. You'll see it again in 2019. And we've seen it in recent years going back if you start thinking about it. And the great thing about that being the selling or the way that you can bind these classes together, it's huge because the relationships. Like, it's a lot easier to decommit to a coach that you don't even have a friendship with. It's just a school. But, like, Mm -hmm. if you're committed to a school because you like the group of kids you're around and then now it's a world where you can be friends with them on these online type of platforms, you don't necessarily have to be friends like we used to be all meeting periods appear to be harder to decommit if it's like man i've got to know that dude i think i like him and we want to go play it can only help bind a class together or if you get that if you're at a place lucky like austin that it's the common meeting point for all of you they only help a big school like texas so rod i guess to to tidy up our quarterback discussion for now do you think what, what year would you bank on? Would you say not bank on, but what year would you say is most likely Texas gets back to having elite play at the quarterback position? Uh, I would say twenty. Play. Yeah, I'm going to say 2019 is when you should expect it to start coming back or start seeing some glimpses of it. Because if Sam Ellinger, I'm just assuming optimism that he's supposed to be that guy. If not then that means one of those youngsters has shown so much potential early on that they are capable of surpassing them. Yeah. Uh, we're just giving enough reps and giving more playing time, and Tom Herman's already identified that. And I think they'll start making that transition if, that, if they're one of those red-shirt guys, hopefully that's you know, Casey Thompson, Cameron Rising, both of those guys, uh, if one of those red-shirt guys starts to make that move, I think Tom Herman will recognize it, and he'll 
either start another quarterback competition or he'll just make a bold move depending on how well Sam plays this year. Yeah. Yeah. And depending on if Sam stays healthy this year, I'm knocking on some wood because that's why Shane – and I can't believe Shane, you know, like the Clemson quarterback. I forgot the five-star quarterback from Clemson. Um, but they've got two now. They just recruited one in this 2018 class, but they had one already on campus. And Hunter Johnson just transferred. Yeah, and he came from a 2017. He was 2017, yeah. I believe. And Trevor uh, Lawrence is on campus right now. Yeah. Who is that? Trevor Lawrence is on campus. Okay, right and he's the one that came in the 2018 yeah. class. Mm-hmm. So they they were like, man, he's not going to even give it a year or two. And he's like, no, I see the writing on the wall. Like when the quarterback from last year got hurt, I didn't get the starting job. I didn't get the starting nod. They gave it to the backup, and now you got the number one quarterback, number one prospect in the country coming in. Hell, I'm done. Like, what do you mean? I'm out. So honestly. I'm surprised Shane Bouchelle. I don't. I don't know if Shane Bouchelle is going to transfer. Because I, I, I think the, there is writing on the wall right now, pretty much for sure. Now that Shane still believes he can win that job, and that's great on Shane. But I see writing on the wall, and the writing on the wall I see is I'm with you. I think it goes pretty much from Sam, and then they kind of leapfrog almost to this 2018 group yeah. they brought in with Cameron Rising and Casey Thompson. It only fits, too, because, I mean, at first, uh, when we were just talking about elite quarterback play, you're thinking, well, it's either going to be the guy that Herman inherited or Ellinger, and then that would be three years removed. But then when you think about a guy, it's like rarely does the guy that you didn't recruit didn't become recruit your guy. He's not so my guy. it looks like, like you're saying, if it's 2019, that's totally fair looking at year three of Herman would mean basically you finally got the group where you have your guys on the field it's an accurate mm-hmm. assessment because not everything is reliant upon the quarterback for the quarterback to be playing well. So if everything around him has been elevated and either a young gun jumps up ahead of Sam or Sam is able to take that job, year three would be about where yeah. you want expectations. Right now would be like, oh, damn, do they have something forming like a sophomore group like Tom Herman's group with Ezekiel Elliott and those kids at Ohio State? Because that team was ahead of schedule. Everybody didn't think they would go that quick. They lost earlier in that year against Virginia Tech. They had been, I mean, they were the youngest class, but they were that badass class from the year before that were all freshmen. Yeah. And by the end of game 15, they were the best team in the nation. But, you know, if one or two things goes wrong, other than that Virginia Tech lost to another Lake Travis quarterback, which was Michael Brewer, I think, at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. And then you end yeah. up going, like, if one thing goes wrong, you never know what that team becomes because by the end of year two is so close to that year three in reality yeah. that you can see a lot by the end of year two, even though you might not be at that point yet. The interesting discussion about that that, that I want to get into now as we just kind of switch over to defense because I want to talk some defense this week <clears throat> is the, the concept of the thought of elite quarterback play that being Texas ticket. And, Rod, I started thinking about this. When you look at the teams that, for the foreseeable future, are going to compete for national championships, you talk about Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, those types of programs. <clears throat> when you talk about developing bodies in the trenches and having elite talent in the trenches, mm-hmm. I think at best you're kind of hoping for a push when you go up against those types of schools. Because it's going to be hard to out-recruit Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama for the best offensive and defensive line talent in the country. Not that, you won't, not that you won't get your share, yeah. guys. Yeah. Just, you know, Texas just picked up uh, Tyler Ty- Texas just picked up Tyler Johnson, a five-star offensive tackle from Conroe Oakridge. That's big. How many five-stars you tell there's, me there are in the country? There's like th- in the country? We have 32 every year at 24-7, but in the composite, it like varies. It, no, 30. it's probably right around 30 to 35, give okay. or take, give or take right. a few. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, I mean, getting a five-star offensive lineman is pretty big. So, first five-star offensive lineman Texas has had uh, in the composite since Mason Walters. 
There you go. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been, it's a, been, a been a decade. Yeah. It's been yeah. a long time. But yeah. anyway, so it's not to say that Texas won't be able to recruit that type of talent. But you know, when you look at what Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, kind of the three, you know, kind of programs that are the standard right now for for recruiting in the trenches, you're really hoping for a push. So yeah. Elite quarterback play is the only thing that can really take you over the top because you know compare the uh, the line talent that Georgia had, for instance, to Oklahoma's. If you just compare the line talent, Georgia should win that game going away. Very true. What was the difference in that ball game? What got yeah. Oklahoma really one bad overtime possession away from playing for a national championship? Yeah, it was Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. So that to that really kind of drives it home that even though. You would think that the inability to recruit offensive linemen and develop offensive linemen at a level that the SEC programs, along with Ohio State and Clemson, who are doing it at an elite level, while that might not be realistic, the X factor of having elite quarterback play, that gets you into that discussion, that gets you into contention. Yeah. That 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 is the ultimate fallback you've got I mean, if you're a program like Texas. In the Nick Saban era, and I hate to just you know make it that simple, but it is, the Nick Saban era, we're all in the shadow of Nick Saban. He has been the only one that has been the exception to that rule, so he pretty much sets the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't need elite quarterback play because he's so dominant in almost every other phase of producing top-caliber NFL talent, um, and he has obviously uh, the elite-level coaching as well and acumen. Uh, but everybody else, go look at everybody else that's been competing and won a championship when you're talking about Florida State, it's hmm. Jameis Winston. You're talking about competing for with Oregon. They got Marcus Mariota. Even with Ohio State going back, they had to have three damn quarterbacks to do it. I mean, it ain't it ain't rocket science. Like it ain't chess. It's checkers. He's a unless you're Alabama, like unless you're Bama, if that guy's not elite and playing at an elite level, I'm not saying he needs to be like uh, Peyton Manning. But if he's not playing at an elite level, then you got no shot. Baker Mayfield. I mean, that's the only reason they have a shot. You brought that up too. So. Um, even with Washington, when they were doing it, Jake Browning was he the quarterback? No, mm-hmm. was it Browning? Mm-hmm. Did I get the name right? Yep. I don't know why I thought I got had that that got that wrong. There but used to be a he, locker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was he was he was balling at the time. Go look at his stats, man. He's killing it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like one of the best quarterbacks in the country at the time. Yeah. Um, and even when Georgia's doing it, I mean, of course, Jake Fromm. He's you know, I mean, he was playing like at, at a really high level in that national championship game. He's the reason they're in it. They they rolled the dice and let him. Um, pretty much, you know, I mean, make all the plays, make a lot of plays. Well, Bama forced them to. That was a smart thing to do by Bama, but that freshman made all the plays. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like it just reminds me of just how we've seen the sport evolve, but there can still be that saving that it's the true foundational, like I built this program, it's a program the same way you used to have the powers or like, I mean, it mirrors the way that you saw the scheme of the spread and Mike Leach need the quarterback. Well, it's more like the hair, the one-trick pony that's going to go and elevate – to contend with the Texas because Mac Brown had something rolling amongst the yeah. Big 12 that was so powerful that you needed to elevate with scheme. You needed it. How do you do that? Well, we get a quarterback that can wing it and we can get these plays back and do it every single time. And it slowly got around and it's amazing to see where Saban is that he can be at the top no matter what advancement of the sport, of whatever, even the yeah. saturation of talent that in all these sports now, the depths out Doesn't of matter. this world. But he has been able to start it with that foundation and it's like the tortoise in the hair it's like you can get all your fancy things that come fly past me but overall steady's gonna win because i know football and i've built this foundation for a decade so rod when, when we talk yep. about the line of scrimmage, line of scrimmage man. i That's keep something. i keep going back to this texas defense. Max mine. i keep going back to this texas mm-hmm. defense and 
You know, I was with Tom Herman in Fort Worth at the tour stop a couple weeks ago now, and I asked him to, you know, kind of the generic throwaway question you ask any coach when you're going into the summer, what, you know, excites you about this team, uh, what concerns you. And he said that the thing, one of the things that he really likes about this team, he talked about, you know, improvement at the quarterback position, which we've talked about a lot in the last two shows. But he also said he really likes their front seven defensively. He knows they lose Puna Ford and Malik Jefferson, but he yeah. feels like if they get the production at nose tackle that they got from Puna Ford, that they'll Whoa. they'll probably be all right. Whoa. Whoa. See, that is a hell of an assumption, sir. That's not me <laughs> saying it. That's Tom Herman saying it. No, I mean, did, I mean did, did he just throw that out very nonchalant? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just phrasing. I know you're paraphrasing, but you just – I mean, he's the Big 12 defensive lineman of the year. I know he went undrafted in the league. But, I mean, go, pro football focus will tell you how important he is. I mean, it's not it, – for Puna Ford, it's like this, right? This is how I see it. It's not – the because when you look at his numbers, like the production no, it's not, yeah, numbers, yeah. they're not they're, – they're okay. But they're at that not position, great. you're not going to have a time. Right. Unless and they're Casey, always going to be inconsistent based the, on each right. Right. Casey weight freaking Hampton. every defense. Yeah, Casey it's the, Hampton can do It's it. the presence, though. It's yeah. the presence. Yeah. And I don't – It's almost no numbers is good if you're eating up what he eats up. We're, you're almost – you're almost looking at it like not quite, but you're almost looking at it like you got to take a money ball approach to Puna Ford. You can't replace him. Definitely. You can't replace him, but maybe you can replicate him in the aggregate. Exactly. With some combination of Chris Nelson, Nelson. and I think Chris Nelson being healthy for the start of summer workouts is huge coming off the elbow surgery. Their depth's uh, huge. With some combination of like Chris Nelson, Taquan Graham, and Gerald Wilbon, and who knows what you're going to get from DeAndre Christmas. He's kind of the, the wild card in the trenches. I mean, he's a guy that the, the Charlie Strong staff thought they had gotten a real steal in terms of – had he played high school well, football as a junior or had played varsity football, they you know they felt he might have been a national top 100 type guy. He wasn't, but still LSU and Tennessee and a bunch of SEC schools came after him. But the bottom line is if you can replicate what you've got from Puna Ford with what you've got at nose – then you're going to be all right, and I agree or with come that. close to it. But, Rod, here's here's my, my thing. It ain't going to be easy. Why do I feel like we've been here before? And I know we talked about we believe in Todd Orlando much more than we believed in Manny Diaz or Vance Bedford. But I just – I've got this feeling in my gut like I don't want to go into this summer just feeling like it's out of sight, out of mind with the defense. I don't want to do that. No, I don't I think I want to try to, like, nitpick it and say, okay – where is this defense going to have issues? I understand they've got talent in the front seven defensively with Hager, Roach, Amenahu, Gary Johnson could have a monster year. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I don't just want to be like, ah, defense will be fine. And, uh, There's you a know, lot of that going on. We, Horse 24-7, we had a Big 12 assistant coach tell us this week, you know, running down, here's some stuff, here's Texas offensively. Defensively, ah, they're going to be fine. Orlando does a good job. They're, they're going to be fine. Yeah, no, no. That's, everybody's really confident. I mean, I've talked about it several times and brought up the comparison, which makes which makes makes me even more concerned. Yeah, I mean, I I, I have it's tried to bring though. it up several times to try to really, I don't know, really kind of poke and see if Longhorn fans are concerned about it. Um, they are not. There is a there's almost full confidence in Todd Orlando. So I've just thrown out the warning that all right, well, history. The last couple of years, last couple of times we've had a defensive coordinator, their first years have been, it's eerie <laughs> how similar they've been oh, to yeah. Todd Orlando. No, I yeah. mean, all downright freaky. We talked a lot about it. I mean, it is, I mean the par- I'm talking about the statistical parallels. They're right on point with one another. Very, very few, uh, very few differences 
in the way they performed. They were elite defenses. And then the second year, all of them lost elite NFL caliber players at crucial positions. And those defenses, both Vance Bedford and both uh, and Manny Diaz, fell off a cliff. The difference with Todd Orlando is I think he's a better defensive coordinator than Vance Bedford or Manny Diaz was at this point, um, first year uh, at, with Texas. Familiar with I, the culture of the think, conference. I think, and I'm not going to say they return better defensive personnel. Go look at some of that defensive personnel that Vance Bedford and Manny Diaz had in their second year. Mm-hmm. Those are the NFL players on them defenses. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't no, they're not scrubs on those defenses, all right? Those guys go on to be NFL players uh, at one point, a lot of those guys. So, But I do think this team may be deeper, and they do have natural pass rushers for it on this second-year defense. Um, I think that'll help them out, too. So I, there really is, other than faith and optimism, there's no reason to think this defense won't fall off a cliff, just like Manny Diaz and just like Vance Bedford. We're just going on faith that it won't. But the truth is, everything recent history points to, it falling off a freaking cliff, too. Now, they don't play quarterbacks that are going to be as heralded uh, as the quarterbacks Texas played last year, which might have been the toughest schedule for quarterbacks in the country. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Mason Rudolph, all those guys won't be on the schedule. So five, I believe five or six teams that Texas plays next year on the schedule will have different quarterbacks. That is going to help Todd Orlando as well. Yeah, and I think also one difference, though, between like And say, no Michael Dixon. <laughs> and no long ball Dixon. Very huge. Think about that. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, there are the questions to be had. And one thing I'm going to look at this summer, I just started to think about it right now, a way to maybe gauge what or to expect from Orlando in year two would be maybe look at some of his other defenses at other schools that he lost and what his adjustments He's never were. been there that long. Yeah, he's never, never been year he, two. He's always, dude, he, he goes to UConn was the place he was at mm-hmm. longest. But usually after that, dude, it's been two-year stops. It's yeah. been so, I mean, at least you can look at year two, though. Yeah, so, you can look at year two. I'm just saying, but I'm he's just never thinking lost this much either because he's True, never had a lot of NFL fully. players but on the, the big defense, part that I and think... he's never coached at the Power Five level either necessarily on those defense. So there, there's so many differences. You really can't track Todd Orlando because he's, he's 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 like he's actually uh, like gradually leading up to a crescendo. Yeah. Like he's getting now becoming an elite name in defense. So I don't know if there's actually an accurate comparison. The last five or six years for him. Cool. The one main thing that I was thinking would be the one difference between Bedford, though, and between Diaz and then where he comes from is he came up in a spread culture in conferences where he's played this familiarity. That's very true. So whenever you had Manny and Bedford coming from real, I mean, you look at what the type of defense Manny ran. I mean, he was up against SEC uh, offenses most of the time. Now, very he did true. see the I beginning of some spread, but same Bedford, a different style of defense. So year one, if you're coming in and doing something that's against the grain it can be successful and it's like how we talked about the simplification of those defenses sometimes did do it that's the one thing that I'd say is in the advantage of somebody like Orlando because he now in year two is familiar with this the other conferences had an entire offseason to go and then actually adjust to that different type of defense and then they were exploited and never were to be successful after year one so if Orlando could do it here maybe just because his familiarity his depth of his defense it's going to be more down to him identifying which cogs are the key pieces and then pivoting his entire defense around those and, and, I agree with that. and that's what I gives me hope point. because Rod I went back and looked like at that. my notes I always go back and look at these notes from when I heard Todd Orlando speak at the Angelo Clinic last summer and it was in the breakout session, and somebody, one of the high school coaches asked him about schemes and something, and he said something to the effect of something you echoed, Rod. It was, 
You don't win games with scheme. You win games with players mm-hmm. on defense. Yeah. And to Matt's point, I think that to me is the biggest key in all of this is can he look at the personnel he's got and figure out. Like, look, the dime package worked great last year, right? But maybe the best personnel grouping for this defense isn't going to be the dime package. Maybe I agree it's that. a base nickel. Yeah. So to me, the key in all of this is can Todd Orlando look at his personnel and realize what is going to be our best? Because let's face it, in, in the Big 12, your sub package is your base package, whether you're nickel, yeah. dime. You're going to be nickel or dime. Yeah. And I'll, I'll eventually get to the point in a minute. Can he take a look at his personnel and decide how do the how do my best eleven what roles be, best fit with their skill sets and how do we make this work within the framework of what we do? Yeah, I agree that's that. really what I mean. It sounds which simple, he did, which he did marvelously last year. Right, it sounds simple, yeah. but that's something Manny Diaz didn't figure out. No, he didn't. Not when not when you go go to Stillwater to play Oklahoma State and you've got yeah. Dalton Santos and Steve Edmond on the field at the same time. Vance Bedford struggled with it. Yeah. Yep, I agree with that. When we were all screaming in 2015, play the young DBs. Yeah. And you know what? Who struggled early on? Todd Orlando did. Ben Maryland game. Yeah. <laughs> he was, you know what I mean? Like early on, there's Orlando really. It took him a game or two or three. I just think he he got, he got evolved quicker, much quicker than Vance Beffer yeah. and Manny Diaz did. That's a good point, pointing that out. Because that first game, you looked at it, and anybody that looked in and talked about the film was like, man, I can't believe it. But Tom Herman got out coached by that Maryland coaching staff, and yeah. it was literally because yeah. I mean you. And, but you're right, Orlando reality. did adjust. But early on, you heard Orlando and Herman say, "No, they did stuff we'd never seen before," and that's the idea of preparation. That if you are that new thing, the way Orlando even was in the conference last year, you do have that first advantage, and then it becomes the counteract. How you say the game of chess at that point, yep. and that's where you see the cream rise to the top, and that's where Texas gets to find out more so this year. And, and Rod, backing up the point you just made about him adjusting quickly and evolving quickly, to me that's part of, as a coach, really swallowing your pride and realizing, okay, what I wanted to do, it's not going to work. But it's not about what I want to do. It's about what we need to do to win ballgames. That's a bad coach. And I don't think at that point in his career, Manny Diaz has proven himself to be a good defensive coordinator at this level. I just don't think he was ready for all that. We talked about the toxic environment on the 40 at the time and, (laughs) and everything else. So I don't think he was ready to really kind of get hit in the mouth and taste his own blood yep. and then looking around for guidance, and there was none to be found. Mm-hmm. The guidance was Mac bringing in Greg Robinson and then firing Manny and just let Greg Robinson run the defense. Exactly. Um, and, man, I you know I just go back to this with the Charlie Strong staff, man. I just don't think they ever really wrapped their heads around how different football is played in the Big 12 compared to other conferences in the country, especially Yeah, no, at the football's time. football. That's yeah. how a lot of football was played for a long time. Yeah, they, I think that for for Charlie Strong, yeah, the, the inability for them, and we've talked about this with Charlie too. Too, uh, he just he acted very kind of lethargically in his decision making a lot of the time. Like instead of making adjustments, we talked about it with the quarterback position. Uh, we talked about it whether it's um, him uh, making the move at offensive coordinator it took him too long to do that, and even with Vance Bedford, I think it took them too long to even to adjust the talent. Obviously, there was talent there, and they brought in um, some. Uh, yeah, for them, not they didn't have to be abysmal. Like that defense was right. abysmal. Well, I'm not telling you to. You ain't got to be what Todd Orlando was last year, which was literally one of the best defenses in the country. I'm not asking you to do that, but you don't. You can't be bat bottom of the bottom of the Big Twelve. Defense. You can't no, be the reason Texas. why this team is losing games on a consistent yeah. basis, and that's yeah. what Texas defense had deteriorated too. 
Yeah, and Charlie, I mean, mean, in you look at the type of coach Charlie was, I mean, you are just a creature of your environment and learned behaviors and the type of football that a lot of older guys grew up in isn't the type of football you play now. And we've seen people evolve and adjust, but if you don't grasp it fully or if you're behind the wave, it's also something that's just going to fly past you like it is right now in a lot of the NBA. You look at a few teams doing it, you see the same in baseball, a few organizations doing it. Like, if you don't evolve with the modern game they're ones that are uh, performing with the highest optimization are the ones that have a baseline that's higher than some of these other ones because you have built-in flaws where if you haven't paid attention or evolved to those modern details you aren't going to stick with them i ultimately believe that tyler lando's defense um will be tough for offenses to game plan even next year because it's gonna look i agree with you jeff it's gonna look totally different without puna without malik without deshaun elliott without houghton hill you know, Jason, you lose so many guys that played a pivotal role on that defense that I just it, it has to look different. There's oh, no yeah. way you can make – it will be a mistake of him to try to make this defense look like last year's because there's no way across the face of it it can. Yeah, it's he would so like different. for it too, but when you yeah. have the personnel that's different, and that's one thing with Orlando, like last year we saw a lot of stuff you normally don't see from standard D coordinators. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the pieces work, but the key will be in this conference is the mo- – multi-position variety of our defensive front because if you don't have say a D tackle to replace Puna and then Jeff like you were saying the idea that it was going to be a money ball or platoon these areas well you aren't allowed to do that in this conference if you get the mismatch you want and don't substitute the players stuck out there so it's going to be big to see if we have a guy that can bump down and evolve and match up mm-hmm. well on the field because otherwise platooning really can't work unless the offense chooses to let you do that and that's really tough to do in this conference. Yeah, it's just it's going to be a different. It's going to be interesting to see what Todd Orlando does specifically with that defensive line. We've talked about it, you know, having Puna forward, you were able to play one style and and roll with that style for basically mm-hmm. the entire part of the second half of the season. Uh, what you're going to have to do is maybe you're you, have, you know you've got more athletic bodies. You've got a, a Jamari Chisholm. I brought yep. up to Quan Graham already, so maybe more slanting, more movement, just doing some different things. So you got natural pass rushers. Yeah, so it's gonna I mean? it's gonna and how do you get those guys free? So it's just yeah. going to be a different, maybe a different style that we see. But you know, again, I, I just go back to it. I, I'm, I'm confident. What gives me confidence? It, it's more than hope and faith, Rod. It's it's a belief in in Todd Orlando and his ability to adapt his scheme around his personnel yep. and not be so stubborn and hard-headed and trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And, and maximizing his players. How many guys last year that we see that we've been watching forever, you've been watching longer yeah. than us because you were Get watching nothing. them in high school. Antoine Davis. Projecting them. Mayshawn Hughes. these guys have their best seasons ever. And we're like, well, where the hell was where He's the hell gone was his whole career. You know what I mean? And we saw it was, it was the Nation Hughes or whether it's Deshaun Elliott. Antoine or Davis was Jefferson, one that stood out for me. Antoine Davis, Jason Hall. I mean, it goes to Puna Ford. It goes on and on. All these guys. Brandon Hager. Hager. They found a role for Hager. Even five, he, was a, he was a diamond in the rough. And, and remember, he was missing the first, what, five, six games of the season? Yeah, they bring he him in an fitting. Oklahoma State game in the Lightning package. Turns out now everybody's projecting him to be all Big 12 this year from the way uh, that Tyler Lando was able to utilize him. Tyler Lando said, oh, no, no, now that I know this guy can beat a one-on-one and he's a miss, he's a matchup nightmare, I'm going to use him. So my, my, I think the challenge mm-hmm. for him is Tyler Lando is going to be, how do you get those three natural pass rushers on the field as much as possible in the pass-heavy Big 12? Ch- uh, Charles Amenahu, Malcolm Rhodes, Brecken Hager. If you can get those three guys on the field the majority of the snaps, I think Texas is winning. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that defense is going to be making winning plays. If defenses can scheme around you, getting those guys off the field and getting those guys, I don't know, those guys having to take breaks because they're exhausted, then the offense is going to be winning. You want to keep those three. Those three guys are difference makers, in my opinion, on the front seven. And this is just something that stood out to me. I just br- briefly peeked at him, but when you look at the, we talked about the havoc rate and how crazy oh, yeah. last year. You know, you saw it was Texas. DBs. Yeah. It was uh, ranked, I believe, one hundredth with D linemen coming with havoc rate, but DBs were second in the nation. Well, when you go back, look at Orlando in twenty fifteen at Houston, quite similar. It was a hundred twenty first in D line, right, and seventh in DBs. So quite you said similar. UConn? And that was at Houston in at 2015. Houston. Okay. So then when he, though, went on to the next year, 2016, totally changed and ended up having still very good DB Havoc rate in the top 25, but top 30 D-line, top 23 linebacker, top 25 DB. So it sort of showed he evolved to his personnel. Like This is just basically looking at it quickly. But when you go yeah. from your first year at Texas in 2015 at Houston being in the bottom 20 and your D and your DBs yeah. being in the top 10 or top it. 7 and then the next year they all contribute inside the top 30 it looks like he helped evolve to that personnel so but, we'll just see it open it allows us to think that it may right. be open and we don't That's know point. no you're right but but let's also not discount the fact of what changed for Houston in 2016 you added that Oliver. Mm-hmm. You added a guy. That so your defensive line overall draft pick, <laughs> right? So your, de- your defensive line mix was, was a little bit different. Been a unanimous All American, I think his first two. I think every it's year. exactly every perfect. Yeah. So it shows he'll evolve to his personnel and his piece, right. and use that piece if no, no. on the line. If Hager's yeah. that guy, if Malcolm Roach is that guy, he'll utilize it. But he isn't closed minded to also using the other options whenever it's like, no, it's, those guys are deficient. I'm not going to do it. Last three years, he's had either a unanimous All American at detail or a defensive lineman of the year yeah. in the Big 12. Yeah. Let's see what happens when he does not have Those. that luxury. That's a hell of a luxury. Yeah. That's a hell of a rock. You got a unanimous All-American at D-Tackle or a conference defensive lineman of the year. Ain't no scrubs there. Now that's not going to be the case. Yeah, pretty good defense yeah. Jimmy's U of and H. Joe's, X's and O's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. His defense at U of H in 15 was really good, and he didn't have either one of those things. But, Rod, as, as we close out, I'll, I'll get to this. That's two um, years. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll get to this. The other thing that gives me confidence is I think Todd Orlando's got the two things he needs, and I'll write about this on the site because I'll go back and find the audio because I recorded it when uh, SiriusXM was on their campus tour this spring. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe it was Chris Childers and Rick Neuheisel were doing the interview, and they asked Todd Orlando, you know, if you're an NFL GM, you know, what would you, what do you need? What would you take first? And he, Todd Orlando said he felt like the two things all great defenses have or that he feels he needs to have a great defense. you got to have a guy – up front that can generate you eight to ten sacks. Yep. And you gotta have a guy who can lock it down on the outside. Yep. Once on side of the yep. field, shut it down. A natural pass rusher. And, and I think he's got both those things. I think he's got the eight to ten sack guy with Brecken Hager. And I think he's got a guy that can lock down one half of the field in Chris Boyd. Now, Chris Boyd's got to put it all together because you look at Chris Boyd's last two, each of the last two years, he didn't play really good in the first half of the season. In the second half of the season he played really well. Like, you know, two yeah. years ago with Charlie Strong, it was the, the addition of the wristbands or whatever. That's yeah, really up Chris yeah, Boyd. Yeah. <laughs> um, last year, it was going to that Oklahoma State game. We talked about him having bad eyes. And we're like, hey, he's kind of like – Chris Boyd's kind of like Shockey Brown. Like, he looks great getting off the bus oh, yeah, and times well. But, man, just sometimes yeah. his eyes are horrible. It's terrible. That was the week they put, like, the GoPro on his helmet. Like, see what he's like, we want to see what you're looking brilliant. at. I love that. Brilliant. Yeah. It's like, all right, you said you're looking at that right now? Such yeah. new age thinking. I love yeah. it, man. 
and he played really good football he did. thereafter. Yeah. So maybe that was the change that Chris Boyd needed. But yeah. if you can get a consistent level of play from Chris Boyd and you can find a way, Matt, as you said, to really work your package, for lack of a better term, around Brecken Hager. Uh, <laughs> total package. Nice. To, to well really done. kind of center what you do, make Hager <laughs> the focal point of what you do, then, man, it's – I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it sounds really good on paper. It does. What this defense could be. But yeah. forgive me if I just don't go all into, oh, this defense is going to be great again, blah, blah, blah. No, it's going – I'm kind of you, – you said it for me, Rod. It's gonna take a step back. It's 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 not gonna be. You can't expect it to be as good as it was last year. No, you can't. But if it's as, the best in the conference, you're good. But as long as this defense isn't the reason why this team loses a handful of games, then you'll feel like you at least weathered the storm. And then going into 2019, when you've got some more personnel coming yeah. back and your third year in the system, then you feel like you're you the foundation's built. Now, now go when you. I, I think Matt's right. I think it could be the best defense in the Big Twelve. Yeah, like I, I yeah, really that'd be do. big. Yeah, it I think can. I think it could be the best defense it in the can. Big Twelve, and that that's not saying a lot because the Big Twelve defenses aren't always. It could be a right. drop off, and yeah. as long as you are that, then around you, you just need average play, and you're going to be in every game. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. We will. Uh, our our goal here on the show, everybody, we want to eventually get to the point where we're more interactive, like we were at the other studio. But there's some things that gotta gotta happen for for that to take place. We may I, be live next week. I.e., Travis's wife. Getting ready to have another baby, so <laughs> there's some things we got to work around. Life gets in the way. There sometimes. are babies being had around but here. Yes, you know I mean? a lot of yeah. babies in this uh, studio <laughs> in 2018. But uh, we'll make it happen. We'll get more interactive. We'll get involved on the Twitter machine and Facebook and all that good stuff that you guys like so much. So just be patient. We're hoping by the time we get to into preseason that we're up rolling the way we wanted to be since we moved over. Great radio partners, the Austin Radio Network. No complaints there. Uh, just some kinks we got to work out, but we will be uh, fine and up and running at an optimum level at some point. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You are more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network, 104.9 The Horn, hornfm.com, worldwide on the Horn app, where you can hear Rod B. each and every week from 1 to 3 on the Rodcast. Famous luck. And thanks to Matt. You can get us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, any of your podcast apps, and always find us. All of our archives, past interviews, past shows, you can get it all on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.